A note to listeners, this episode contains descriptions of racial violence. Please take care while listening. May 1940, the Dutch port of Emerden, just after dawn. The German invasion of the Netherlands is underway. Off in the distance, anti-aircraft guns let rip as bombers drone overhead. A Chevy car through the streets, heading for the main road leading to Amsterdam. As the driver focuses on the road, in the back seat, Jan Smit feels the revolver in his hand. Smit's a Dutch diamond merchant, and he's never held a gun before. It's heavier than he imagined. He grins and suddenly points it at the British spy sitting next to him. The spy frowns. For pity's sake, Jan, stop that. <laughs> Smit bursts out laughing, his round body wobbling beneath his silk shirt. You're supposed to stick your hands up. Jan, I gave you the gun for protection. It's not a toy. You must stay focused. We get the diamonds and we get out, nothing more. Holland will fall to Germany within the next day or two, and our boat out of here tonight won't wait. Smith turns to look out of the window. As the flat countryside whizzes past, he sees bombed-out buildings, distant explosions, and the dead, crumpled bodies of German parachutists. The seriousness of this top-secret mission is starting to dawn on him. They're headed to the Diamond Boers, the center of Amsterdam's centuries-old diamond trade. Their mission is to collect its stockpiles of industrial-grade diamonds. Industrial diamonds are now the bedrock of mass production. Diamonds are the only material hard enough to precisely cut the latest steel alloys. And without those alloys, you can't make tanks, bombers, or submarines. So keeping Amsterdam's diamonds out of Nazi hands is vital, and Smith's the well-connected guy who can get the city's diamond traders to part with their stock. By mid-afternoon, Smith's in the diamond boars. He watches as traders fill his canvas duffel bag with diamonds. Minute by minute, the once distant gunfire edges closer and closer. Smith watches a man named Isaac approach. He's a diamond polisher, and he's aged a lot since Smith saw him last. Isaac's bony fingers clutch a leather briefcase. Jan, my wife, with her cough, she won't survive a labor camp. Please, take her to England with you. Smith looks away. Isaac understands his old business acquaintance won't be able to help. Quietly, he opens his briefcase and removes several packets of diamonds. Here, take them to England. Keep them out of Germany's hands. He turns to go, but Smith stops him. Isaac, wait. I'll give you a receipt. I've known you 30 years, Jan. Don't be silly. Isaac, stay in touch. Isaac smiles as he fights back tears. <laughs> yes, I shall ring you from the labor camp. <laughs> Sorry, but what can one do in times like these but joke? That evening, as Germans close in on Imerden, Smith and the spy climb back onto the British Royal Navy destroyer that dropped them off that morning. Smith watches the burning port shrink from view and clings tightly to the duffel bag filled with millions of dollars of diamonds he's just snatched from Hitler's grasp. On returning to Britain, 
Smith delivers the bag to De Beers' London office to be locked away inside its underground vault for the rest of the war. But the wartime struggle for industrial diamonds is only beginning. And soon, it will pit America against De Beers in a showdown for diamond supremacy. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Ernest Oppenheimer seized control of De Beers and paid ad agency NWAIR to convince America that every marriage proposal needs a diamond ring. But now Hitler's armies are on the march and everyone's clamoring for industrial diamonds. This is episode three, Diamond Dogfight. November, 1940, the White House. Assistant Attorney General Thurman Arnold lights his pipe and looks at the men around the table. They're the men President Roosevelt's tasked with stockpiling supplies in case America joins the war in Europe and Asia. But Arnold's got no idea why they've dragged him into this meeting. Hey, can we just skip to the part where you tell me why the hell I'm here? The official gives Arnold a dirty look. Fine. We're having trouble stockpiling diamonds. Diamonds? Yes. Industrial diamonds. We need them to make armaments. If we run out before our enemies, our capability to build everything from bullets to airplanes will be compromised. Okay, but but what do you need from me? There's only one supplier. The De Beers cartel in London. They'll sell us the diamonds, but in return they want immunity from prosecution under our antitrust laws so they can operate on U.S. soil. Arnold removes his tobacco pipe. No, Absolutely not. I built my name taking on monopolies and cartels, and you said they're in London, right? Then get the limeys to lean on them. It's not that easy. The Brits are siding with De Beers. Diamond sales are an important source of dollars to them. London says if we don't give De Beers immunity, our diamond supply could be threatened. You want me to put Americans at the mercy of a monopoly? 
I will not do it. Tell the beers to stick their request where the sun don't shine. It's a few days later, and in Johannesburg, De Beers' boss Ernest Oppenheimer sits in his office, looking concerned. He absent-mindedly strokes his mustache as he rereads the memo informing him that America will not give his cartel immunity from antitrust laws. He turns to the executive who brought it to him. How disconcerting. Not even an acknowledgement of our pledge to hold prices at pre-war levels. Indeed, sir. Oppenheimer presses his hands together. Remind me, how big a stockpile do the Americans want? A year, sir. 6.5 million carats. That's farcical. They cannot possibly need that much. Sir, they fear London will fall to the Germans and with it, our stockpile there. Yes, but what happens if we supply that quantity and the war ends suddenly? Then they'll just sell the stockpile, causing prices to collapse and unleashing chaos. I built the syndicate to prevent chaos in this industry, not to enable it. Indeed, sir. How should we respond? I offer the Americans two months' supply towards their stockpile. Not a carrot more. Battle lines drawn, De Beers and the White House wage war. The U.S. government presses for more diamonds. De Beers digs its heels in. The White House demands that De Beers build a diamond stockpile in Manhattan. De Beers refuses point blank. As Luftwaffe bombers flatten entire British cities, the White House seizes the moment to warn the UK government that the US will stop supplying planes unless De Beers hands over more industrial diamonds. With the stakes rising and America on the verge of joining the war, De Beers gives a little. It agrees to move some of its London diamond hoard to Canada for safekeeping. But the U.S. can only access it if there's a shortage and must pay half the stockpile costs. Reluctantly, the White House agrees. But De Beers' need for control isn't America's only wartime diamond headache. When the war started in 1939, De Beers stopped selling industrial diamonds to Germany. But the Third Reich is still getting diamonds from somewhere. And the Belgian Congo is the only place that could produce enough to satisfy the Axis powers' needs. So America sends undercover agents to the Congo to investigate. May 1944, Leopoldville, capital of the Belgian Congo, present-day Kinshasa. In his hotel room, Agent Titan reads the coded telegram telling him to abort his mission. Sorry, Washington. The party's already begun. He puts the telegram into the ashtray on his desk and strikes a match. Then, he watches the telegram burn. Teton came to the Congo a year ago. Now, he's got a pretty solid grasp of the diamond smuggling ring that's keeping Hitler in arms. And it runs deep. Senior people in the Congo's Diamond Mining Corporation are involved. And that's, well tricky, because that company is majority owned by the Belgian government, the Belgian government that's supposed to be fighting Hitler and is currently in exile in London. The British felt the smuggling was too sensitive to raise with the Belgians without more proof, 
So Washington told Teton to get proof by buying some diamonds on the black market. Teton never liked this plan. Now, his assistant is missing, probably being beaten until he gives up Teton. The telegram calling off the mission has come too late for them both. Teton lights a cigarette and watches the last remnants of the telegram turn to smoke and ash. A few minutes later, he hears booted footsteps heading towards his room. He takes a final look at the hazy waters of Congo River through his window and opens the door. Howdy, officers. You're under arrest for being here on false papers. Teton nods and offers his wrists for the handcuffs. Later that day, he's deported back to the U.S. But the diamond smuggling ring doesn't save the Third Reich. By the end of 1944, the Nazis are running out of diamonds and the currency needed to buy them on the black market. Soon, its war machine starts breaking down, accelerating its defeat. In April 1945, as Berlin falls to the Allied advance, Hitler commits suicide in his bunker. Germany surrenders a few days later, followed by Japan in August. And now that the war is over, GIs are returning home to pick up where they left off by settling down and getting married, which means De Beers can renew its push to convince America that no marriage proposal is complete without a glittering diamond ring. It's 1947, and in her Philadelphia apartment, Frances Garrity looks wearily at the clock on her kitchen wall. It's past 3 a.m. She knocks back the last dregs of coffee in her mug. Garrity's an ad agency copywriter at NW Air, and she's on deadline. At 9, she's got to be at the office with a De Beers campaign ready to go. She rubs her eyes and rereads the last line she just wrote. Choose a fine stone... And you'll always be proud of it, no matter the size. Hmm. That works. I think I'm done. But then she notices something on the ad. A big white space at the bottom. The space where the signature line goes. It's the most important line in the ad, and she's forgotten to write it. Too tired to press on, Garrity seeks divine intervention. Oh, God... Please, please give me something. She scribbles a stray thought on a scrap of paper and crashes into bed with her clothes still on. The next morning, Garrity nurses a strong black coffee as her boss checks her work. Hmm, not bad. So, so, fine, good. Oh, hang on. Francis, where's the signature line? I don't see it. Oh, I have it here. Garrity gets out the crumpled scrap of paper she wrote on before falling asleep. A diamond is forever. That's it? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sold on it either. Do you want me to think of something else? No time. I'm leaving to see De Beers, South Africa within the hour. This will have to do. But if they don't like it, then you will be trying again. But De Beers does like it. A lot. The company embraces A Diamond is Forever as its slogan. Backed by millions of dollars worth of ads, Garrity's words engrave into American minds the idea that diamonds 
equal romance. In 1939, only 10% of U.S. brides received diamond engagement rings. By 1950, it's 50%. Soon, it'll be 80. But while the diamond cartel spreads a message of love in America, its country of origin has another message. A message of hate. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. November 1952. The railroad station, Kimberley, South Africa. Dr. Arthur Latella adjusts his bow tie and turns to his fellow activists from Number Two location. Number Two is one of the Diamond City's impoverished townships, built as a compound for De Beers' black miners. Latella looks at his seven comrades, eyes full of determination. To defiance! 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 As one, they punch the air with a thumbs up. This is the Salute of the Defiance Campaign, a national series of protests against South Africa's new white supremacist regime, apartheid. Now, these eight are making their stand by sitting on a bench. Whites stop and stare as the protesters sit on the bench and start singing. There must be justice in our land. Police arrive fast. One approaches, face twisted into a snarl, baton in hand. This bench is for whites only. Get off! Latella folds his arms. No, we defy apartheid. We defy those who make us slaves in our own country. We defy those who tell us where we can live, where we can go, who we can love, and even where we can sit. The police respond by striking them with batons, and then arresting them. The next day, the arrests ignite the pent-up fury of the number two township. Hundreds take to the township streets, giving the defiant salute. They smash in the beer hall's windows with stones, torch the police station, and destroy the passbooks non-whites must use to move around the city. Then, they surge uphill toward the gas depot, 
At the top, the police are waiting with rifles and submachine guns. The police raise their weapons and fire. Protesters crumple to the ground. Men, women, and children flee for their lives. Wounded people writhe in pain as they bleed onto the unpaved streets. At a bus stop, the bodies of a woman and her baby lie next to a bag of spilled groceries. The uprising ends with 13 dead, 78 wounded, and dozens arrested. The Diamond City laid the foundations for apartheid with its compounds for black workers. Now, it points once again to the nation's future. A future where South Africa's white government seeks to preserve its racist system with lethal force. It's 1953, and in De Beers' London headquarters, Harry Winston is about to perform a ritual. A ritual he and the rest of the world's top diamond dealers must perform every fifth Monday. Ernest Oppenheimer's diamond-buying ritual, The Sight. Winston sits alone in a north-facing room. Before him on a mahogany table is a brown cardboard box, and inside is his latest allocation of rough diamonds from the De Beers cartel. He knows how this goes. He examines the gemstones in the box. Then, he buys the box without complaint, even if he thinks the diamonds are not worth the price tag. And this time, the diamonds definitely aren't. A De Beers executive in a Savile Row suit quietly enters the room and looks at Winston's short, round frame. Have you reached a decision, Harry? Winston feels his blood boiling. He resents this pretense and the way the cartel's men hide their ice-cold hearts behind a veil of politeness. Winston glares at the box. His company handles one in every four diamond engagement rings sold in America. Why should he have to play these games? He remembers hearing that Portuguese Angola wants out of the cartel. Maybe he could do a deal. With Angola's diamonds behind him, he'd no longer be shackled to De Beers. He'd be free. He looks up. Yeah, I've made a decision. I'm not buying these trinkets. Winston dramatically pushes the box aside. The De Beers man shows no emotion. Is that your decision, Harry? Winston pauses. He's about to declare war on the diamond cartel, a cartel even the White House couldn't break. But he's not about to back down. Yes, that's my decision. Very well, Harry. I will escort you out. Fall, 1953, Lisbon, Portugal. Winston sits in his hotel room and drops a tablet of saccharin into his lunchtime coffee. He's waiting on a call from the office of Portuguese dictator Antonio Salazar, inviting him in to discuss buying Angola's diamonds. Winston's feeling confident. The Salazar regime seems very keen. Harry Winston? Hello, Harry. It's Ernest Oppenheimer. Winston's jaw drops. How does Oppenheimer know he's in Lisbon? He told his staff to keep this trip on the down low. Oh, <clears throat> hello, Ernest. What can I do for you? I hear you are persisting in your efforts to interfere with our negotiations over Angola's diamonds. 
Well, you should be aware that by continuing, you will forfeit your invitations to future sites. However, if you stop now, your allocations at sites may improve. May improve? Yes, I believe that's what I said. No guarantees? Harry, a single sales channel is in all our interests. As you know from your own experience, everyone in the Syndicate profits, even if they sometimes dream of more. I shall leave you to think it over. Winston knows that was his final warning. He sips his coffee and wonders what to do. Then, the phone rings again. Uh, Harry Winston? This is the Portuguese Foreign Ministry. Your meeting this afternoon is cancelled and will not be rearranged. You have 48 hours to leave Portugal. Winston stares at the phone in disbelief. He knows in his gut this is no coincidence. De Beers has just persuaded the Portuguese to leave him high and dry. Now, he knows there's only one way to save his business. He must crawl back to Oppenheimer and beg for forgiveness. But soon, it'll be a different Oppenheimer he'll need to bow to. The 74-year-old Ernest Oppenheimer is handing over his role to his son, Harry. As Harry Oppenheimer steps up, the empire his father built seems as strong as the gemstone it sells. It's proved impervious to war, the White House, and renegade diamond dealers. But deep in the remote frozen emptiness of Siberia, there will soon be a discovery that could change everything. On the next episode, a spymaster goes hunting diamond smugglers, communists threaten the cartel, and De Beers targets Japan. From Wondery, this is Episode 3 of Diamond Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? 
if it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, join us on Rich and Daily. Because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music. Or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.